We knew the name belong had to be in it. I mean, that's our story. That was our story. We needed a place to belong. And whatever we chose, that was the message we wanted to give to others because we were we were very familiar with what it feels like to not belong. That was Amy Corbett, my guest on today's show. She's the co-founder and CEO of a vacation property rental company called All Belong Co., based here in Central Virginia. I discovered this company during my research on Lynchburg, Virginia as a potential landing spot for my wife's and my relocation to a small town. What caught my eye was a post about their caboose vacation rental. Yes, a caboose. Like, that is so cool. So I was hooked by this unique property, but then the further I dug, I found a high level of attention to quality and customer service in particular on being intentional about welcoming people from all walks of life. And as I followed Amy's posts, I realized that welcoming and belonging were at the core of Amy and her husband Mark's values, and that there was more to this story. So I invite you to hear our conversation and learn why I find Amy and All Belong Co. to be so inspiring. Welcome to the Small Town Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm Barton Quigley, your host. This show is all about empowering you to create the life you want in a small town. Join me as we explore the joys of living a simpler life while succeeding in your business or community organization and overcoming the unique challenges of a smaller population. With inspiring interviews and stories of entrepreneurial success, you'll be motivated to take charge of your life and thrive in your small town community. Amy, this is awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Small Town Secret Sauce podcast. I am gushing. You are one of my heroes. Oh, Like my gosh. a celebrity. No, I'm not joking. When I saw you at Bright Nights, I was down there because uh, my wife was working for DLA, uh, Downtown Lynchburg Association, and so it was she couldn't join me. And I hadn't made any friends yet, so I'm just walking around, checking stuff out. And it was just so cool. I was like, this is a small town, like, holiday market dream. I love this. And then I walked by you, and I had to do a double take. You know, it's kind of like you've seen somebody on TV or on social media. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my gosh, I think that's Amy Corbett. <laughs> and I walked past. I was like, okay, forget it. I got to go say hi. I got to tell her how awesome she is and ask her to be on my podcast. But every time I came by, there's all these people talking to you. Yeah, and then it I felt was like, crazy. I felt like this weird lurker. So I'm like, <laughs> she's going to be very concerned when I finally start walking over. But you were not. You were, you were very gracious. Oh, I was so flattered. The things you said and how inspired you were just like, from Instagram and our presence on Instagram. I mean, that was that was amazing. It stuck with me. And yeah, it was really great meeting you. Yeah, well, it, it, it comes through loud and clear. Uh, how I first discovered you was, well, DLA would just tag everybody around here, right? They're promoting downtown Lynchburg. And they either they tagged you or it was the Lynchburg Tourism Board, LYH loves you. Um, but it was the caboose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa what are you kidding that is so cool <laughs> and then I'd like I do like to do is go down the rabbit hole and mm-hmm. then I found all so it was before I really discovered you as the the pinnacle but just the messaging was wow I mean it was very heartfelt mm-hmm. very soulful and it just felt like these two wide open arms going come on in we, we care about you and I said okay that's way above and beyond 
for an Airbnb. <laughs> right. Like this, this is, there's something much deeper going on here. Yeah. And I remember when we chatted at Whiteheart, you said that that's what stood out when I introduced myself to you. You're like, oh, you get it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that was, you, you, there's a, there's a lot of folks and I, I told this to you, but you are a part of the big reason on why we chose here. And it was because of community of people who are creative and stellar and just putting it all out there and who care and they want to give back. And that mm. really resonated. You want to give back. I just think it's so cool. Your story of coming from big city to this place called Lynchburg, Virginia. Like, <laughs> how did this happen? Um, it's, well, that was the first thing I had to research. Yeah. Okay, right. hold on. Oh, my gosh. I was like, please. Because there are places in America that have names that are after um, KKK leaders right. or slave owners that, you know, so that, yeah. So when I found out it was okay after this man, John Lynch, who, you know, built bridges and ferries, I believe it was something like that. Yeah. And settled the town. Um, okay. Well, I could get past that. Right. But yeah, that was definitely a little bit of a hurdle. Well, and part of our business is like convincing people to come here and find lodging. And so that's, that's always a unique challenge, you know, for some people to be like, I don't think I want to come to a town called Lynchburg. <laughs> I do, well, most people ask me, is that where they make um, lemonade? Why is that? Lynchburg lemonade. I've never heard of I that. Th I think that's from Tennessee. It's got whiskey oh, in it. Oh, Lynchburg, Tennessee. You know, I had a guest actually like driving to, our, like they booked our place and thought they booked Lynchburg, <laughs> Tennessee. <laughs> Come on, with the age of the internet now, it's, yeah. Yeah. So where, what is the current state of All Belong Co? Like how many Airbnbs do you have? Like just what's just a current snapshot if you were telling somebody what you do and what this company does? We've got 30 boutique Airbnbs. Uh, mostly, most of them are in the Lynchburg area. I'd say about 25, but we also have some in other markets and that's an area that we're looking to explore more. Um, we own a few of them ourselves and we also manage for owners. I have um, two full-time employees, but we have other workers, cleaners, maintenance people. It, it takes it takes a, an army to do what we do. That's interesting. That's a so it's kind of a hybrid. You have how many how many homes do you own specifically? So we're running, I believe, three right now. And is this one of them? This is one of them. Okay. What about the caboose? That's two of them. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So those are our personal personal properties. Yeah. And two full time employees. Yes. But so with the other employees, are they just is that more like a contractor? It's type a contractor. Part -time? Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. And then for managing, so you so other people own it, but you run it. You do marketing, uh, take care of the cleaning, process payment. Yes, wow. all of that. So they get to live their lives. They get to have holiday dinners with their family, and somebody on our team is. Um, 24 seven, essentially, um, doing all of their guest messaging and handling any issues that come up and, um, arranging all the cleanings, arranging maintenance. It's similar to what you would think of property management, mm -hmm. but, uh, you normally think of like a long-term property manager, like for tenants that are there for like a year. Right. 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 We've got tenants for like two to four days Yeah, and then you've got to have the house like ready to go. So it's, it's no, it's very, um, it's very fast paced. It's very live by deadlines of check in, check out. And it's kind of like a really fun symphony of, <laughs> of, um, what's the word? Like 
like organized chaos. Or yeah, that that's <laughs> even better than I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I come from the corporate world, and that's exactly what it was: organized chaos. Um, that's okay. So, which do you do you have a preference on like owning the property yourself? Uh, because if you if there's thirty and three, we're talking that's another twenty seven that you're just managing, and is that something that you see continuing long term? Yeah, that's so having owners is always an interesting thing, you know, and to have like 25, 27 owners now and everybody has their own, you know, attachments to these investments. Um, and some people are just easier naturally to work with than others. So, um, but I, it also allows us to have more amazing properties than I might be able to afford, you know, so we get to go to um, Snowshoe, West Virginia and get like a place near the ski slopes. Like I wouldn't be able to to purchase that home this year. Sure. I think uh, my favorite is to have my own properties just because I can control the vision and um, I wanna I wanna be doing more unique things sometimes than maybe some of my owners are willing to take the risk for. Interesting, okay. So yeah. that could be a future state. It could be. Yeah, I'd like to do more projects similar to a caboose and an MLK themed home. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, those really stand out. Yeah. So what about like things like decor and stuff? Do you get to have any say in that? Um, or I assume that would kind of there would run the gamut in terms of the owners who are willing and not willing to have you have that input. But do you find a lot of them are willing? They are. Yeah, they've seen what we create. They know the type of properties that we want to have. And so we offer that service to them cool. um, to set up. We can literally take like an empty house and, you know, turn it into a successful short-term rental. So that's a fun part to be able to be a part of the vision of that house and to think, how are we going to make this house stand out? I like to say that our houses are like um, each have an identity. They're, they're each, you know, somebody. It's not just a house. Like it's meant for a certain type of person. And so just thinking through that, um, I like our houses to be unique and diverse and that's a huge quality for us. Um, what do you call it? Not a quality, but, a um, mm, like a, not a, not a principle, a value, a value, a value. I like that. A business value is well, diversity. It matters. It does. Because it starts to help inform your decisions on what you're doing, the direction. Uh, am I going to say yes to this client? And I mean like exactly. the, the homeowner. Yeah, so there needs to be a little bit of alignment there. There does. Oh, for sure. And I've had owners over the years where we've had to say, like, this is not aligned. And how many years have you been doing this? I think this is like the beginning of our sixth year. That's it? That's it. Amy, six years, 30 properties? I know. But and aligning with your values? It's it's crazy. It, it's really crazy, especially in a small town, you know? Well, I know. I know. Well, so, okay, so you have Lynchburg. What, what are the other towns? Okay, so we have one in South Carolina. We have okay. two in different parts of Ohio. We have um, one in Williamsburg, Virginia, one in Cape Charles, Virginia, now the one in West Virginia. Um, so, yeah, I really want some beach houses, though. Oh. So, yes. Yeah, think about like Virginia Beach or like Outer Banks. Oh, Outer Banks is my favorite. Um, yeah, I've got family down in the Myrtle Beach area. So, okay. um, you know, I could have some boots on the ground there. So I, I think that would be my target. 
Very cool. To begin. Well, and that starts to get uh, quite lucrative over there too. Yes, Steady it is. clients. It, it is not a shabby um, market there. No, definitely. So we're here in Virginia. So South Carolina, that makes sense. The coast makes sense. It's right there. Um, Ohio? Where did that come from? Okay. Instagram. That's awesome. Yeah. Like um, our clients saw us on Instagram and I think part of their story, we haven't like dug into that, but I think something about our story really struck them and how I, as a woman, um, have been through a lot with um, just being sort of second class uh, mm-hmm. to in institutions and, and rooms full of men. Um who made me feel second class. Hmm. And that really struck a nerve, I think, and it made them reach out. And That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's a personal story, right? That personal connection. Yeah, it really is, is crazy how far story goes to find your people. Well, and, and I just want to say it's, it's very, it's brave what you're doing because especially in the world of business, you know, a lot of people edit that. Well, <laughs> especially on social media, people edit yeah. heavily yeah. on who they are. But it, it honestly, I think it wastes time for everybody. Yeah. It's like, no, let's get to the real and let's, let's, because it's going to, either we're going to be a good business fit or we're not, or good friends or we're not. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I've always admired that about you. Well, and, and, and you just always constantly come, come across as authentic. And I think that that is a superpower. Thank you. So thank you for that. That is probably another brand value that, um, I honestly, yeah, don't feel like I know any other way. Um, and that's part of what my story has taught me too, um, to be who we are and to embrace that and accept that and, and don't apologize for it. No. And you talk about, uh, you know, a woman in a man's world often being told to apologize for mm. being real yeah. or expressing who you are and not holding back. You yeah. Know? So that... And I, I do feel like the tide is turning if you stop watching national media right? and just go around and have conversations and see that I, I do see more of that empowerment. And for, for my wife and I personally, that was a big reason why we wanted to come to a small town because we wanted to jump in and be a part of that conversation and to help elevate that kind of conversation, which yes. is why I was just stoked beyond belief that you want to be on the podcast and that you were going to be the first one. Yeah. I'm like, so honored. Very cool. Uh, before we go back to your origin story, I do want to talk about this amazing house that we're sitting in. And I will put links, uh, and I'll put a description on how to get to them. But if you go to All Belong Co. at All Belong Co. on Instagram. At AllBelong.co. At AllBelong.co. And the website is the same, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you'll see links to this MLK house, but it is it is stunning. It's on a historic street in a historic neighborhood. And... What, when did you buy it? And was that the vision all along to turn us into an MLK house? Mm, That's a great question. So we bought this, this is embarrassing, but it was before the pandemic. Um, and we actually got the, the whole caboose thing came about while we had started this project. So we were like, okay, we're gonna actually, no, the pandemic happened first. So then we had a extended pause (laughs) <laughs> then we got this caboose thing came along. So then, um, you know, finished that, got that rolling. And then we came back to this. This was like, 
this was the money pit part. Like mm. we threw so much into this and had to do so many things, you know, three times over with three different teams of contractors. And here we are though, it's done. We've, we made it to the end, but, um, somewhere along the way, it was not going to be an MLK house. And somewhere along the way, um, you know, I, I am just kind of tired of pretty houses. Mm. Uh, that's, that's not who I want to be. Okay. Um, again, this idea of uniqueness and diversity. Um, you know, I'm thinking like, how, how can this house be meaningful? Mm-hmm. And I have this story, which is, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and tell the story. So as my family was in an environment where let's say MLK wouldn't be, (laughs) wouldn't be exactly, um, a hero. Mm. And I made this risky move to create an MLK quote, um, like a wall decor sign for my house. Okay. And it was to cover up an electrical box outlet, which I think is illegal and you're not supposed to do, but it was prettier. (laughs) So I, I did this beautiful wall quote. Um, and it was like the, the typical, I have a dream, um, that one day, you know, little white girls and black boys will, um, hold hands as brothers and sisters. Well, that's my family. Right. Right. So it was so meaningful to us. We MLK day for us is like always been like part of our family. And, um, so, but I was, you know, I, I would have people over and I kind of had to hide this part about me. So it went in the alcove, like of my hallway over the electric electrical box. But as I became like more secure with, you know what, I'm, I got to lean into who I am mm-hmm. and what we're about. That MLK quote actually went above the sofa. Whoa. Like, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So now we were really out there to put it above the sofa. So you can imagine now sitting in this house, we went all in to say, no, we, this is what we're about. We're about bridge building. We're about bringing people that are ordinarily not going to be in the same room um, together. And of course, with having a black son, um, racial justice issues are at at our heart, you know, at the center of our heart. So, um, yeah, now we have a an entire home um, dedicated to helping black businesses, supporting them. We're giving part of the profits to um, like black nonprofits, uh, black owned, and we've got banned books available upstairs books you wouldn't like normally get to read um you know we're just using this home as a place to encourage challenge inspire um educate Mm. and 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 welcome so this is a big this is a big deal for us that's awesome well and and bravo and and yes you know the tough conversations are worth having yeah and trying to, to skirt those again back to authenticity. Mm-hmm. There's also authenticity in just speaking truth and having that kind of conversation. So yeah, like the banned books um, is it would like 
I know there's one that always gets a lot of gruff, uh, how to be an anti-racist. Mm. I don't know if I bought that one yet. Is that That's Ibram? I- Ibram. Um, last name escapes me. Kennedy? No. It's something else. I'll correct myself. Oh, yeah. I know. But yeah. Ibram, yes. And then uh, he's also got a uh, how to raise an anti-racist child. Yeah. Which was awesome. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, and it's by people. I don't even know. Have you, it's like, have you read the book? Go in and read it. Right. I mean, it's it's very open that, you know, this is not trying to shame or do anything like that. It's like, no, but we need to talk about what's not been talked about. Exactly. And I, I think that's, you know, both my husband and I grew up in environments where we didn't know. We just didn't know. And to have our eyes sure. opened um, before we adopted, thankfully. Um, but there's so many issues of poverty and race that, yeah that haven't been talked about and it's it, the burden is is on people like me mm-hmm. to yep. um to do the work well yeah the allies right yeah i mean that was uh geez 2020 yeah when the the second wave of the black lives matter thing came out the first one i i you know it's the thankfully i think the pandemic did us such a solid to a lot of people to just stop yes. everything and give people time to catch their breath yes, and actually look and actually dive into topics. Because the first time it came out, um, you know, I, I felt uh, a lot of pressure from, you know, my, my, my friends of color of just, you know, the anger and I, I could understand it as well, hold on that. But you know, life just railroading along. Yeah. And then with the pandemic, it was like, okay, let me dive into this and see what's mm-hmm. going on. And there was a lot of embarrassment. Just, oh my gosh, this was right under my nose yeah. and, I, and I didn't know it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was you know, the shame, but it's like, you don't let the, the shame linger. That's not going to do you any, any good. Right. Go, okay. Whoops. Sorry. Hold on. Let's dive into this. And no, that's when yeah. I went down the rabbit hole and I was just, I was floored. I was heartbroken. I was very sad, very angry. Mm. Um, but it's, I always say, you know, to people, uh, you know, the, the big scary monster in the closet always, is always just your coat. Mm. I don't mean to demean any of the the seriousness but it's the sooner you can go in there and turn on the lights then you can see what's really happening and you can start to process and deal and learn and grow yeah that's so good and you know i had been coming along before all all of the pandemic and george floyd stuff and this whole idea of black lives matter again i had to be very um almost quiet and hidden Mm -hmm. in a sense about that and so it was something that (laughs) Yeah, I guess I was an ally, um, but I could only be an ally in certain um, areas of my life. Sure. And the day that that happened, George Floyd, I remember it was like the very next day I opened my laptop and like at the top of Amazon um, was Black Lives Matter. Mm. And then I would go to Google, it was Black Lives Matter. And like every single company. And I wept to Mm. see that. Because I just could not believe that we were gaining, that, that America was going to actually like see what this was about and that people's eyes were going to be open. I had white mm-hmm. friends coming to me and, and apologizing and asking questions and, sure. and just really floored, you know? Um, it was interesting. I, I got to be on a panel of um, moms of black sons. I've, I was so honored here in town with the local news, which is another cool thing that you get to do when you're in a small town. And um, we all kind of shared some of those similar sentiments that, 
you kind of want to be like, hey, where were you like years ago? I like this is just what we've, you know, experienced. It was really interesting because when we were on that panel, the world was the world seemed to have their ears and open. Like mm-hmm. you said, we were slowed down in the in the pandemic. But then as things sped up, I mean, I don't know if you if you sense this, but it, it seems like that con- that national consciousness kind of died away as well. I think a lot of people still came away with the um, seeing that reality, but um, we actually used to own a house that would be considered in the quote hood of Lynchburg, which is not a hood, um, a lower income neighborhood. Right. It started during the pandemic. Um, it's in it's in a black neighborhood. I make no apologies for that. That's clear in the listing. And during the pandemic, people came and loved it, loved it, loved it. As the pandemic, you know, slowed down and that national consciousness went away, we noticed that our guests began having a lot of trouble with the neighborhood hmm. and with the neighbors and the things that we had said, like to expect. So it was an interesting few years. Yeah. Well, I mean, that it's that's but that's going to happen in a lot of these things, right? There's kind of the shock and awe. Yeah. And then there's a lot of discussion. And then in in some ways, getting back to life, to normal life is a good thing um, because you can't hang out in trauma forever. But yes, how do you then still keep the education and the dialogue going about those things? And it's hard, you know, I mean, I have uh, people in my life, I'll say it like that, uh, that are also white that really struggle with it. Mm-hmm. They were they were angry. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, hey, I, I'm not that way. And that's why I loved about Ibram's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's like, well, you may not at top of consciousness be making choices uh, that are aggressive, mm-hmm. but let's look at the subtle ways that you're you're doing things. And, and and you know, it's it's all a learning process and no one's expecting you to change overnight. But it's just keep you know it's it's like with coaching and my own inner work it's just do the work show up do the work no one's going to be perfect absolutely and no one has that expectation either and also give them the floor i mean people of color right yeah. people who are kind of down the ladder that have been purposely kept down the ladder yeah give them the floor give them that human decency right and respect and let them go yeah, I think a lot of the whole idea of white privilege, you know, I think it needs to be, yes, it exists. So now what do we do in light of that? Right. And how can we use that um, to amplify the voices um, that need to be heard more than ours? Well, yes, exactly. It's it's making room at the table. Yeah. It doesn't mean, no, you need to go away now. Right. It just means, no, also offer that seat yeah. next to you and say, great, and don't do all the darn talking. Right. Yeah, and realize, like, you know, you've probably been a schmuck, and, like, yeah, shut up. And yeah. There was a great podcast that came out that I heard, um, Tony Robbins. He's a very famous uh, life coach, and he pulled together this all-star panel of people, uh, mostly people of color, to, to tell the stories. And there was um, a guy by the name of Daryl Davis. He's a musician. Have you heard of him? I think so. And he purposely goes into KKK areas yes. to talk to people. Didn't he do a documentary? Oh, I'm sure. 
Yeah. I'm just, it's probably done a TED talk, but that, well, there were all the conversations mattered. His took out to be the most. He said, I want to know, how do you hate me if you don't even know me? Mm. And he really boiled it down. You know, it all starts with ignorance. Mm-hmm. Ignorance is not the same as stupidity. People think, oh, no, if you call me ignorant, I'm stupid. It's like, no, 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 no. Ignorant just means you don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And we're all ignorant about a whole bunch of things. But then how it progresses and how it turns into fear. You fear what you don't know. Then you want to attack what you don't know because mm-hmm. you don't want to be sitting in this moment of fear. And it's, yeah, so for people just to bravely say, I don't know. Can you help me learn yeah. or show me the resources? So mm-hmm. I, I love that, that that's a huge part of your brand, that that's a huge part of this house. And we've, we've kind of talked around some of it, but this is all part of All Belong. How did, what was the inspiration to create All Belong? And I know it's tied to your, your personal journey as well. Yeah. Are you ready for that? I am. Okay. So for 17 years, my husband and I were in campus ministry. So working with college students here in town. And also we started at Texas Tech and then we moved to Lynchburg. And instead of just being focused at Liberty University, which is the largest Christian university, um, we decided that we were going to make our group not just be for one campus. We wanted to bring in all the campuses together and people, again, people who wouldn't be in the same room normally, we wanted them to be in the same room. We value having different perspectives in the same room. So um, as we served and as our story unfolded, our daughter lost her hair at age two um, and she has something called alopecia. She just turned 16. So, you know, she to have we have a bald daughter who rocks it and is just the most amazing person I've ever known. Um, but that was a big part of our story, too, of, OK, um, we're going to be different. And that was a small death to die for me mm. um, because I liked being like everyone else. I wanted to be liked. And so to be liked you're supposed to be like everyone else. So um, she really helped me kind of (laughs) accept that different was good. And that had to be something that I had to be into my head um, because I had not grown up with that. So we're here, we're serving campus ministry. Then all of a sudden we have this amazing second adoption with our son who is black and that's a whole story in and of itself, but we will, for time's sake, we'll, we'll go on. Um, so having a black son and doing campus ministry in the 2016 era of America. <laughs> you see where I'm going? Oh, remember it fondly. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't tumultuous at all. No, not at all. Wonderful time. <laughs> um, there emerges this like Christian nationalism. And, you know, it was kind of like, what's the frog in the kettle story where you've been, you're sitting there and you, you know, you're not in a place where you belong, but you're trying to make it work and you're conforming with your environment in order to make this work. And things came to a head that year and, um, in, in 20, so eventually in 20, I believe it was 18, 17, hmm. we, we decided to step down from ministry. 
we thought we were going to grow old in it. So this was a big step down for us. We didn't have anything, anything. Like we didn't know what was next. We didn't know, do we try to move and find another ministry job? Um, I had just started hosting in our home um, on Airbnb. We have like this basement apartment and that was going really well. I loved it. And I thought, well, if we move to like a bigger city or whatever, I can, this is something I can take with me. Um, So that was kind of where we thought we would go. We looked at at Richmond. We looked at moving to DC. We we were just really open to um, several different towns. And every time we would, Lynchburg would give us some kind of invitation. Mm. Something would happen here with with a house, with an owner, with um, the city even reached out and wanted us to be like their brand ambassadors. Like what? Oh, I saw that. I have a brochure sitting in my house in a guest room. And I was like, what? Where's Amy Corbett? I know. My kids were on billboards representing the city. You would go to the airport and like there they were above the baggage claim, you know? And um, it was just wild. It was wild. So let's... Let me ask you if we can just step back for just a minute to paint a little bit more color about um, being in this, because I don't think we've we've said, well, we said campus ministry, which would allude to a church, but for people who are not familiar, uh, you and your husband grew up in the church, and the church was a huge part of your life, being part of the campus ministry, and that is, I assume, going to campuses and engaging with students and talking about, here's uh, sort of our, our brand of religion, I mean, correct me if I'm saying something weird, and that there was a, a point through the evolution of your family, through the evolution of the national conversation with politics mm-hmm. and everything else, you, something started stirring. You, you mentioned frog in a kettle. Mm-hmm. Something started stirring. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any specific moment where you were just saying, I, I don't know that this is the environment for us, that this specific community that we're in is the one for us? Yeah, and you know what that is? It's so ironic. It happened on MLK Day. So the Christian nationalism came to town, and Liberty University chose Donald Trump to be the headline speaker on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Mm. Fine, fine choice for a speaker. Couldn't find anybody else. No. <laughs> There's no one better. <laughs> so our students in our in our ministry were not happy with that decision and they wanted to protest. Well, you're not allowed to protest at Liberty University being a the type of um, conservative Christian evangelical college that they are. So it was sort of a, you know, oh my gosh, kind of a thing. Um, And they asked us if, my husband and I, if we would be a part of it. Well, that that was kind of tricky because, you know, in our circle at our, at our church, you weren't supposed to talk about politics. So we went and asked our white pastor if we, you know, could or should what he thought about us protesting along with our students. And he said that would be wrong. And then we went within our denomination to a black pastor and said, what do you think about us protesting? And he said, that's what allies do. 
Mm. And so here we have this divide in our, like, and, and it just kind of tore us apart. Are we, who are we aligning with? Mm. And there's just a great division anyways between white evangelicalism and the black church historically. So it sort of created this dichotomy within us. Um, And I would say that's like that day that we stood on the corner and no one from our church would have done that. But we were with our students and we held our MLK quote nice and high. And, you know, students would come by and flip us off and shout at us and very Christian-like things. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. And and it was it was scary. You know, we were kind of putting we were putting ourselves on the line to do that. Right. Which is so ridiculous looking back. I mean, I would do that in a heartbeat with no no second thought. But I would say that was the beginning of the end for the the people here locally in the congregation. No one came and said words that were unkind. It was just kind of like hearing through the grapevine, and it just continued to be an issue. Um, I don't know if you remember when Charlottesville happened. I love how we just oh, yeah. call it Charlottesville. I know, and we all know it. You know, it was the neo Nazis coming to town, and yep. um, unite the right. Yeah, 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 and that happened. Um, just there was just so much happening, like on a national level, and. Being here, we did not have an environment around us that could, that would support us here. We didn't have our people that would have just, that would have joined us on the corner. And is that because, well, you you didn't have it within the current community that you're in. Correct. And because that was where you chose to be, that you hadn't met other people. Yes. I would say I'm betting fast forward to now you haven't built up another community. Absolutely. Question for you. When you went to talk to the pastors mm-hmm. and you said you wanted to protest, I mean, it's because uh, I felt the same way. W- w- what is a white man doing talking, speaking to the student congregation on MLK Day? Can we not have uh, an African-American speak to the congregation or the student body? What was that specifically what you were pro- protesting? Like, I mean, did you make it clear that, hey, we don't feel that this is the right choice. It's a bad look and that there can be a more appropriate person. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. what it was. And my husband actually even wrote an article that got published in a national uh, Christian publication. Okay. And it was they titled it Why I Will Protest a School That I Love. And that mm. was the essential um, you know, message was this is not the right choice for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I love that, what, the way he phrased it. I will protest a school that I love. Mm-hmm. There's this weird misnomer that if you speak out against the country, that you don't love the country. Right. And I, 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 I'm going to paraphrase probably poorly, but James Baldwin, um, black writer, said, no, I love America so much. That's why I take her to task. Mm. You know, it's like you, yeah. you, I mean, it's coming, we do this to ourselves, right? I want to improve. We kind of get hard on ourselves. Like we love ourselves, but we want to get better. Exactly. So that's, yeah. Versus just throwing mud We're saying, no, let's be better. Right. Yeah. So from, so that's, so that split started to happen and I'm sure that was a process or was it quick? 
And when I say quick, I mean in relative terms, right? If we're talking about a whole body of life that's within this church, the decision to separate that, I mean, that, that forget protesting, you know, swimming upstream, like you were saying, this is now going and, and, and leaving the pond. Yeah, it was a process. It was, there was time, there was time in between the MLK protest and the day that we knew we had to leave. And I think like after the MLK protest, it just continued to, to escalate in the sense of it was weighing uh, on us and bearing down so much that it caused mental health issues in mm. my husband. And, and, and we, needed, we needed hospitalization for it. And it was during that time that the leadership of the church, not only did they not support us, but they actually came in condemnation of us when we needed them the most, when we had given a decade of service Mm -hmm. to them. And there was a, a, you know, you, you get called into the meetings and... We got called into a meeting and it was, it was so bad. It was so bad. Talk about trauma. Um, I had to stand up in that meeting and yell Mm. at those men who were my, you know, spiritual authorities. And to say, you have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. And that was a really powerful moment. And that was the moment I knew we couldn't stay. I mean, that's how isolating that must have felt. Yeah. And just all of a sudden, like, safety net is just ripped out. That was our community. Yeah. Like, these are, like, educated families that had been with us for 10 years. And to know that we were going to have to find somewhere else mm. was terrifying. But also brave. I mean, obviously now you get you have the gift of hindsight, but you know it's 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 like sometimes you know uh, the universe, God, whatever, has to like tear everything down for you mm-hmm. to go. No, 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 no. Your path is somewhere else. Yeah, and that path, and, and there's time in between. Like you know, you have to leave, <laughs> and then you know what's next. Like it's <laughs> so dark. It's so everything was dark, and the only thing I could think was like during that time, like if you envision like you're in a car and it's nighttime and you have your headlights on and you can only see about like 10 feet in front of you with the headlights Mm. and all you can do is go 10 feet in front of you because there may be a big turn. There may be this like pot of gold up there. (laughs) You don't know and you cannot see it and it is utterly dark. There are no streetlights. Um, and so you move 10 feet forward, and, and each day just felt like a struggle. Mm. What do we do? What does 10 feet forward look like today? And it, we were just like in shock and, you know, just trying to figure out like, okay, how do we, how do we like make money to feed our family? We had to reach out to the government for help. Um, it was just really outside of the, comfortable middle-class life that I had always lived and here I was you know like okay (laughs) um was there 
during the, and I'm very interested in that particular period um, because you know and I'll get to it in a second but I want to ask you a question was there any sense of we we made a mistake we need to go back or did you have kind of a conviction within you know in your gut in your bones in your soul that was no even though you didn't know right it's a car driving down the road you don't know where you're going yeah but did you have this inner compass as a couple as as individuals that no our path is forward it is somewhere else yep okay yeah nope there was no doubt we were not going back to that situation if we moved forward in another ministry position it was going to have to look so different. Mm. And so we couldn't find that situation in a ministry context Mm. for us. And I think that's when, you know, moving forward, just those 10 feet at a time, eventually that path led to us on a, on a weekend getaway to say, you know what? We've been doing this Airbnb thing. People keep asking us to do it for them. Lynchburg keeps giving us invites. This is this is probably a thing. Like, and we need to we need to give it a name. And how did where did all belong come from? We knew the name belong had to be in it. I mean, that's our story. That was our story. We needed a place to belong. And whatever we chose that was the message we wanted to give to others because we were we were very familiar with what it feels like to not belong you know i as a strong woman in a a very conservative evangelical environment um my husband as you know having been the the victim of mental illness my son who is black in a white congregation and my daughter who is a bald girl in today's society none of us you know really fit that environment and so we knew very well we didn't we couldn't stay there we couldn't go back we had to move forward with a limp Mm. yeah when when you told me that story that really oof Oh, that resonated, yeah. you know, I mean, it was yeah, and on a completely different level, us choosing to come out here and to follow our intuition without having jobs lined up. Yeah, that's true. We had nothing lined up. We knew, we knew two people, uh, uh, one casually and one person who came in and out of our life and to, and to sit there and go, okay, we're just, we're, we're going to do it. We're doing this. Oh, but it was the intuition thing. Hmm. And that is something that I am so after in terms of what I do in my private coaching practice is I want you to be able to learn to tune into your intuition. Everybody has an inner compass and the more you can listen and follow that despite what the monkey brain says, because you chose to stay here. If I was in your shoes, my monkey brain would have been like West coast route. (laughs) (laughs) I I went to get as far (laughs) Far away away. because you're driving down the same streets. Mm. You're seeing the same people. Mm. So, but you know, what's interesting. We had a, already in that process moved downtown and within the same even a small town you know you've got your pockets yeah. of of circles and we were had already been in an 
an environment, our neighborhood that is so diverse. And being downtown was the place where we could find that diversity and that different people had different perspectives Mm -hmm. than um, out in the, you know, wealthy suburban neighborhoods. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think partly that's why my wife and I have always been drawn to cities. I mean, ever since the age of 18, we each lived in a city and then we got, it was just that diversity, which yeah. I think is so, it's powerful. It's incredible. That was another part on that Tony Robbins podcast. I think they were talking with um, Doc Rivers, uh, coach of the LA Clippers. And they were talking about it. Tony and him were bantering back and forth. Said, remember what we were talking about? The number of passports that Americans, the percentage of Americans that have passports, it's woeful. It's mm-hmm. like 10%. Interesting. And you think about not having that exposure and most people stay in a certain area. So, but when you can go out and talk to people where, you know, you're not the one who's the normal one, like it's, it, but it's, it's scary, but that's how you learn. It's how you grow, right? You get, learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And obviously (laughs) you embrace that head on. (laughs) I did. We just took it on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, and you could pick up some of this from your posts. Some of this from your website. Mm-hmm. But when we sat down, again, I felt like th- this is an incredible story. And are you willing to share it? Mm. And you said, yeah. And I remember I saying to you, you know, you tell it from a scar, not a wound. And it sounds like, you know, there's always going to be pain there. Mm-hmm. But it is very much a scar. And it's it's not, it, you're able to kind of grow from that. And I want to pivot real quick. Talk about the brand a little bit and say, because you said it's Airbnbs, but really it's an overall brand. Mm. Have you ever thought about doing anything else to branch out? Mm. Or are we still in, meaning we, not you and I, you, <laughs> <laughs> still in kind of growth mode and establishment mode? Because it's only been six years. Right. Yeah, we're still in growth mode of business. And what does it look like to, you know, we were thrown into this business world, like ministry is our background. So still growing and learning how to feed our employees and our kids and um what is it where you know what does it look like to yeah care about revenue because we were like missionaries before Mm -hmm. where we were like raising our own support right um so this is all feels very new but in a sense i know we carry this story with us and i am all about how can we redeem pain and so i don't know what the future holds i've I wonder that a lot. I I don't feel like short-term rentals are it. And I don't feel like, um, you know, I had All Belonco nationally trademarked. Like, I don't feel like it is something that is just meant to stay in little, little Lynchburg. But I don't know what that is. Okay, so it seems to me that you give back a lot. That giving back to others, there's the welcoming aspect of All Belong. But there also seems to be a giving sense to your nature and to the nature and the core of all belong. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? I hope so. Does anyone who gives a lot feel like they give a lot? I don't feel like I give a lot. Well, that's great because that means that's coming from the heart, not from the head. Oh. If it comes from the head, you're expecting something in return. Okay. Okay. I can I can go with that. Okay. Um, Amy, this is... Oh, I love this so much. I cannot wait to go back and listen to this. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 my Amy is waiting at home going, you better bring that up. I, w- I want to hear it. So, yeah, she's super, super excited about this conversation. But to to close this before 
um, we close it out entirely. I do want to ask a question. So what advice would you give to somebody who is in a relationship of any sort? Could be community, could be a place of employment, could be a friendship that is starting to realize that this is no longer for them. Mm. Taking your own experience in hindsight, they're having that questioning moment. Mm. What advice would you give them to help that, through that process? The first thing you're going to need is a good therapist or a coach, right? <laughs> then I would say you're going to have to find courage that you don't think you have because if you're going to make it in the long haul, you cannot stay where you are. Growth for you is going to feel like death initially. It will be dark, and I would encourage you, if you're in that situation, to be brave, go all in, Be willing to let it all go to hell because you can rebuild. Okay, I'm getting emotional here. Mm. Like our lives don't have to stay the way they are. And I do believe that we can find other ways and we can find provision we can find people who understand and support who you are and what you're about, who value your perspective, who want to hear what you've experienced and allow you to share your own story. Yeah. That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and thank you for sharing this whole story with me and with everybody who is listening because there is there's a lot of power in it and I think there's a lot people can take away from this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, to close things out is there's I can't believe we could, we could top that. If there's anything else you want to say, <laughs> please feel free. I think I think that's kind of the mic drop there, but where um, where can people find you on social media? Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at allbelong.co, not.com.co, which is also our website, allbelong.co. We hope you will come and stay at one of our properties. Oh yes. You got to people, you got to check out these properties. It, 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 the, the caboose and the MLK. House. Yes. I mean, my goodness. They're all great. They're all like my babies, but you know, we, we kind of have our little. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a parent, but I have heard that it is the dirty secret. There, you know, one might be a rung above the other. But so. don't, yeah, don't tell my children this. They can't listen now. Awesome. All right, Amy, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed and got some really good stuff out of that conversation because I sure have. I have listened to it a number of times to do the edit, and quite honestly, I could listen to it over and over again. So for links on what we discussed today, including 
Albalonco's website and social media accounts, see the show notes for episode four on bartonquigley.com forward slash small town. And please be sure to subscribe to this show by clicking the follow links on Apple and Spotify. And until next time, please, please, please keep those passions lit. Thank you.